You are listening to the SaaS Brand Strategy Show. My name is Ryan Copperud here with my illustrious co-hosts, Mike Geraci, Dustin Robertson. Gentlemen, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Hello. <laughs> Hello. How is, how is everyone? Dustin, how are you? <laughs> I'm, I'm great. Rode my bike yeah. this morning. Drank champagne in the river with Mike on Sunday. Uh, yeah, that was good. I'm <laughs> jealous. I'm jealous. Pink champagne. Yeah. Rosé, bro. It's the best. <laughs> Come on. Rose, bro. I knew that would get you. I knew that would get you. <laughs> uh, that was some fine French Pinot Noir that they it was had, awesome. Uh, fermented. Yeah, it was really good. I want to see the pictures too. Rachel is taking a ton of pics, so I want to I want to yeah, check been, some of those out. And trying to make an edit with the GoPro software, and it's, it's harder than it needs to be. Yeah, just <laughs> so super fast. Uh, Dustin's girlfriend Rachel it was her birthday. They came up to Jackson with a couple of friends to celebrate, and Carrie and I took them down a section of the Snake River for part of a kind of a flotilla party um, picnic type thing, and we. Drank and sang and swam our way down the snake. Amazing. Including uh, Mike rescued an iPhone. So Rachel jumped in with her iPhone. Oh, no. In her in her life jacket. Like she's kind of like held in there from taking a photo. And then we're getting ready to slipped. leave. And I, was like, I had the dry bag with the iPhone where the phones go. I was like, oh, where's your phone? She's like, oh, no. And then Mike looks in the river sees it tumbling down the rocks and grabs it from like six feet of water wow yeah. and yeah. and it's functional the phone works fine yeah pretty crazy wow. so that uh, is pretty crazy i was like here's your phone but you know sol because yeah there's no way it's gonna work and then message notifications started popping up it was like whoa nah. you're like there's not Apple enough bags of up its game there's not enough bags of rice in the universe to save a river right, trip right? for your phone <laughs> and yet yeah, the new ones are supposed to be water resistant. So I would just say, wow, that because it was submerged for at least a couple minutes. We didn't even know totally. it was missing. <laughs> the fact he found it was like, what? Mm. Chalk it up to the clarity of the snake. I mean, the water, the water flow this time of year is kind of low and the, it's crystal clear. I mean, you can see the bottom everywhere. So you, I saw a little glint tumbling down the bottom <laughs> and, and rescued it. Applied Incredible. my life lifeguard skills to the phone. <laughs> Incredible. And and it was able to be resuscitated. See, these are the moments I'm I'm sad that I don't live in the Mountain West because that sounds like a ball and I would have loved to have partied with you all. Yeah. And was, of course celebrated Rachel. I was pretty I'm good wearing, fun. Pretty good fun. She, oh, you, have Casey. To, you have to show Casey. Rachel I'm wow, rocking my that. Casey Musgraves t shirt today to very nice to send us are into you a podcast Casey Musgraves world. fan? Gotta be man, gotta great writer, I'm half and half, I'm great so musician. Half half on the her. new record's not very good. The new record's not very good. The previous two records, there oh, it is. look at that. Dustin's got the vinyl. <laughs> there it is. Yeah, I'm 50 50. I think there is a little bit formulaic. Uh, uh, well, we won't get into it. It's probably a different podcast. <laughs> we, but we really should spin off a music podcast because the three of us could talk about music yep. for hours and hours and hours and hours. <laughs> Uh, but I stopped not... listening to her. Let's put it that way. All right. All right. All right. You're entitled. You're entitled. She's a um, pretty big deal. She is a big deal. She's huge. Yeah. 
Yeah, she's big. Which is why I stopped. Part of the reason I stopped, I'm like, yeah, it's not deserved. Sorry, I'm not going <laughs> to. I'll stop talking now. I said I wasn't going to talk so much because my throat hurts. But oh, then you brought on Casey Musgraves. We did. Well, we did close off at the Palomino Fest. It was uh, Jason Isabel and then Casey Musgraves. She headlined. It was her deal. And that, that was a pretty big deal. So I was like, wow, you're going in front of Jason? That's. I would have thought he was bigger, but apparently not. Her first album, I <laughs> kind of became a fan because on the interview she did for NPR, I can't remember which program it was, she's talking about writing songs on acid. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to give this a chance. Like, yep. good for you yep. for standing up and being like, yeah, this song, it's whatever her big first hit was. She said she wrote on acid or it was inspired by acid. Sure. And I was like, okay, okay, let's give this, a, uh, give this a run. And I enjoyed it the first five times I heard it. <laughs> And I wasn't on acid. Let's just be clear. All right. I'm I'm a huge fan of I'm not gonna talk about it. I'm not gonna talk about it. I'm not gonna talk about it. <laughs> but we've hit a button. We've hit a button. Hit a nerve. We've hit a let's, we've hit a nerve. Let's get into this topic here. This is a All good right. one and touche. Touche. Uh this is not a music podcast. This is a SAS brand strategy podcast. We're talking about software and how B2B SaaS companies uh can improve. Um, well, pretty much everything today, what we're talking about improving more than anything is narrative. And one of the reasons this came to, uh, kind of rose to the top for us lately is just because it's the thing we've talked about on the show over the past, you know, three, four five weeks, if you've been listening, um, but the recession fear conversation is real and it continues to crop back up, whether that's on social media or in the news, the job market, et cetera. And, a big component of that is how the VCs are advising their portfolio companies around what to do as it relates to the fact that there may not be as much money in funds, the funds may not be spending as aggressively as they were historically, um, and how you as maybe a portfolio company might need to be spending the money that you have from those VCs uh, to be responsible and make your make your way through this this recession or these recession fears, if you will. And so one of the things, obviously, that we talk about a lot as well is narrative and how you tell your story. And so we stumbled upon a pitch deck template. And if there's a better example of like the conventional narrative in B2B SaaS, I don't know what it is other than a pitch deck. Um, Sequoia Capital gives out this pitch deck template to uh, to their companies. And I think it's an interesting... Um, it's an interesting insight into what VCs look for when they want to hear a story, hear a narrative from companies that they invest in. Um, so Dustin, do we need to tell people who Sequoia is? If you're listening to this show, should you know who Sequoia is already? And we don't need to do that primer. <clears throat> yeah. Unless we got a bunch of new subscribers from the UK or something. Um, Recently, they may not be familiar, sure. but it's essentially a, yeah, one of the top five VC firms, uh, in, Palo Alto. So um, right there with Andreessen Horowitz. This, when we say pitch deck, we don't mean uh, pitching your business to other businesses to sell to them. We mean pitching your business idea or existing business to a venture capital firm to get right. funding. So right. this is a fundraising pitch deck. Sequoia prescribes how they would like you to pitch them. And uh, what we're going to get into is each of the slides because there is a lot of ways you could interpret what they're asking. And I think yeah. they did that on purpose. Yeah. So we're going to run through um, the slides and give our take on what we think is the right way to answer these questions. Yeah, totally. 
it's not too long. It's actually only about 15 slides, which most pitch decks are under 20, ideally, because you don't you don't want to overwhelm with information or numbers. Um, but yeah, I think we should probably just dive in here to what um, quick quick caveat. This is a yeah. couple of years old, so it yeah. might have changed. True so story. It's been, this has made the rounds before. I think it came up on our radar because uh, when a, a young gun discovered it, like a lot of things in the tech world, somebody like rediscovered it and gave it new prominence. Yeah. But their deck might have might have shifted or their outline might have shifted, but this is still a super instructive for kind of the narrative and the story arc you want to present to investors. And we can talk about how what we do plays into that. Totally. Yeah, it's it's still the standard format that they expect you to use. So cool. Uh so we'll actually start on slide three of the deck, which is, and I'll I'll put the link to this deck in the notes so you can look at it as uh, as you're listening here. But um slide three is the first actual content slide, and it is called company purpose. Define the company or business in a single declarative sentence. And I think what's interesting um, is the next, so you kind of need to know the next slide is the problem statement. Yes. So they want you to describe your purpose, um, but then they're also going to ask you for the problem you solve. And so, um, yeah, I think most people uh, with their purpose are going to get right into like, what, what do they do? Yeah. Um, and if you're really good and I think there's uh, there's a, the original Airbnb pitch deck has gone around um, a lot because it 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 followed this format, but it answered the questions in a very unique way. And um, I forget what they said their purpose was, but it was it was very high, it was very aspirational. And so sure. I think that's what they're looking for here is an aspirational how you're how are you going to change the world? So in our everything we tie our work to is the big change in the world. So I think this is what is the big change in the world. And how are you going to impact it? That is what they're looking for with your purpose statement. They don't want to know that you are great humans and you're going to, um, yeah, they do would want to know if you're going to cure cancer. <laughs> I guess you, you would sure. put that in there. Sure. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what they, an example. And of there's this, something it, they don't care you know, about. <laughs> it, there's this temptation for people to get sucked into the, uh, the Simon Sinek why thing. Like this is our grand, you know, purpose, blah, blah, blah. And that's, yep. that's not what they're looking for either because that's not concrete enough. Um, and it, it mostly they'll just be like, that sounds just like a lot of bullshit. You know, the, 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 I was reminded of the, uh, uh, the purpose that Stripe uses by reading this article by Kevin Kwok, which is, you know, we exist to increase the GDP of the internet. Mm. That's pretty interesting. Right. And that's pretty, uh, uh, it's a, that's a big idea. And that's something that everything else can snap into. And that's going to get people's attention because you're solving a really big problem or issue within the world. Um, and so there's this sweet spot between being too high with your purpose and too literal with your product feature benefits. There's this middle area that you have to aim to hit that gets everybody's attention, that differentiates yourself and is can be really compelling. And it's also aspirational. It doesn't have to be like super literal about this is exactly what we're doing right now and in the next year. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, good example. So yeah, I think if you're trying to figure out how to answer this question, just think about the big change in the world and how you're going to impact it and start to craft language around that. And, um, it guaranteed Stripe did not 
get with the first four revs land on that beautiful statement that was honed over a long time. Right. Yeah. Totally. Right. It's good to have goals. Yeah. Good to have that's, goals. That, Gotta. That's what that's what great looks like. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Dustin's right. That next slide after the company purpose slide is the is the problem slide. The way that they uh the way that they describe it here is describe the pain of the customer or the customer's customer and outline how the customer addresses the issue today. Um, this is a thing we talk about a lot with problem statement. Um, uh, the, the addressing the problem of the customer, um, how they address it today is the old way kind of thing. And then the new way, which is the next slide here, which is the solution to that problem. Um, but yeah, problem, uh, Mike, describe the pain of the customer or Dustin, go ahead. So I was going to say, yeah, the, the pitfall here is you're going to focus too narrowly on your product and the problem your product solves as opposed to the problem you solve with the outcome that you deliver. And that is what they want to see here. They want to see, because you need, they're going to get to the TAM in this deck. And so you better be building a big vision and a big problem that you're solving. Yeah. Um, even if your product today only solves a piece of it you need to be painting why this is a big opportunity and why you care. And so that yeah. problem statement needs to be at a very high level and not down in what your product does. Yeah. I don't, uh, does that article have stripes? So we could give one of our customers problem statements to, as an example, but I don't know. If no, but the, um, I think the important thing here is this isn't what we've discovered is we assumed people, our clients would be pretty clear on what problem they solve. And oftentimes this is a multi-hour conversation <clears throat> to come up with the right sentiment and then totally. actually distill down into the right words um, because you have everybody at the table from product to engineering to sales to marketing, um, even to HR sometimes that has to be aligned on this and everybody's coming at it from their own distinct experience. And it's like, no, we have to we have to ladder up here. We have to like get above all these day to day and like really come up with one sentence or even two sentences. Sometimes that really just distills everything. The problem we solve down to its down to its essence. Um, and so that's a, that's not as easy as it sounds. The other part, just to continue uh, to add to that is that there's um, there's a kind of a surprise element when you're, when you're talking about these things to the, to your, your funders is like, a lot of people think this is the problem, but we've done a bunch of research and a bunch of this, and actually the problem is this. So some sort of like a surprise statement that comes out and like, and here's the data that backs it up, or here's the testimonials that back that up can be a really powerful, um, I guess a judo move where it's like, here's conventional wisdom, but the work we've done and the research we've done and the conversations we've had, we've actually identified this as the problem. And so while everybody's over here chasing this, we're actually going about it in a different way because we've realized the problem is actually over here. Yeah. So uh, the, the, I was going to add on the problem, um, something that's key here is that big change in the world you mentioned before, you should be carrying it on here. Um, and, it should, and be, it off. should be related. <laughs> yep. Yep. The yeah. story arc. We're building the story arc here. So bring these VCs along. Right. Your per your purpose. Now the big change, which was in the, the big change in the world was in your purpose. And now you're referencing that to the problem you solve um, at, a, at a high level and talking about the impact. And then you get into how difficult it is to solve today. 
Yeah. Um, and so that's where you can talk about how it's solved today. So it should be a very complicated, painful mess. Yeah. And then the next slide is the solution to that problem. Uh, promise, promise land. The promise land. Right. I was just going to read really quickly. I do have Airbnb's pitch deck up uh, right now. And the way they uh, did their problem was price is an important concern for customers booking travel online. Hotels leave you disconnected from the city and its culture. And there's no easy way to book a room with a local or become a host. So not, not language. It's going to knock your socks off, but it's direct and it's specific and it's the problem that they're here to solve. Yeah. And they paid it off nicely, but you could see in 2008 or nine, whenever that was getting floated around, that was a hard thing to see that that was a problem that needed to be solved. And so yeah. um, they had, they had a vision there that we didn't, we couldn't comprehend. Right. Right. So yes, the promised land uh, slide five, the solution to the problem you just illustrated uh, the way that Sequoia asks for it is demonstrate your company's value proposition to make the customer's life better. Show where your product physically sits and provide use cases. It's a lot for one slide. That it might be multiple slides. I I don't think. Yeah. I don't think you have to keep it to one slide. True. Um, it's yeah, almost so... like a day in the life, right? It's like you know, here's it's. I think a lot of the um, somebody will remember this better than I, and it's not. I can't remember who said it, but it's it's like technology doesn't exist to like create new behaviors. It exists to kind of complement or make easier uh, existing behaviors. So you don't want people to like have to go and start trying to you know teach them how to do something completely new and different. It has to be part of their their existence already, and all of a sudden it kind of seamlessly can snap in there and get like really quick adoption. And I might be off on that. And again, I can't remember who stated it more elegantly than that but i think that's part of it is like here's the day-to-day that everybody's going through but actually you know there's a big gap jump here and there's a pain point and this is this is where we slot in right right does that make sense yes i I think again um people need to be careful not to lean too much into what their product does at this point yeah because they just asked you how do you solve it and so you're immediately be like oh by this super whiz bang line of code we wrote that does X, Y, and Z. And that, yeah. um, that's still not time. Still yeah. not time. Yep. <laughs> Hold yeah. on. Yep. Yeah. That, I think, I think it's, uh, the solution when you think about like the value proposition and where your product sits, it's like, you have to be able to talk about what your product accomplishes without talking about what your product does. You know what I mean? Well, like, that I think that's category an important differentiation. Framing? Is that when you're framing like this bigger category that's emerging and you're still at a high level narrative about like, there's this big thing that's coming out. We're not going to talk about what our platform is, but we're, it's, it's a new category of stuff or thing. Yeah. yeah and I think, and I think that is the, the category we talk about, like it should be intuitive to understand what, to some extent, what the category does in the naming of the category, right? Like what is, what is this thing used for? Um, so yeah, you should be able to get some semblance of what it what it does or what it accomplishes. I don't like what it does because what it does feels way too feature like focused. But like what it accomplishes, I think, is a good way to yeah. To and like that. and in the work we do, the manifesto, there's usually a what if there was an X that did Y. So you you like set up the context, yeah. and then you set up the problem and the big change in the world, 
And in a way that you get to the point where you're like, and there's nothing right now that currently exists to solve for this. But what if there was something like this that solved for this? And then then it's like, and this is what we call it. And it kind of launches into the rest of the story about what you do. Yeah. So yeah, I think um, to roll it into the work we do this, you would be starting to uh, lay in your point of view on the problem you solve here in the solution. So you're starting to build up your unique point of view you have on it because the next two slides would kind of paint the point of view. And um, the fact that you shouldn't be talking about your product right now is they have a separate slide for that and they have not asked for it yet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, hold off, don't yeah. talk about your product. Yeah, yeah. Um, the the next slide, so it's interesting. I We've already kind of made mention of this and it's funny because I think we we do all of these things, but I think often we put them in a slightly different order. Um, but the next slide is why now? And a thing that we've already talked about is what's the big change in the world, right? And I think the why now slide really is the big change in the world that create has created a problem. So they have theirs in a slightly different order, but um, the why now they ask for is set up the historical evolution of your category and define recent trends that make your solution possible. So yeah, I think that's, you're, you're taking the previous, you're, it's building, right? The story's building. So this is where we're going to yeah. now reference all of the things we've told you. And then we're going to put our point of view on why now is the time. Yeah. And it's going to be a unique point of view that makes us different. Yeah. And if you've checked all these boxes so far, they're definitely going to keep going through the slides and be like, okay, maybe we should meet. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's interesting because in the, some of the clients we've had have been too early. Mm. to an idea of bringing to market that's just the market's not ready for it or the technology's not totally there to uh, address it. And then we haven't had this one yet, but obviously there's stuff that's going to be too late. That's going to be me too. That's going to be, um, you know, just relying on dependencies that aren't stable, um, uh, customer behavior that's not stable. There's all this stuff that people will look at and be like, yeah, no, that that ship has sailed and you better yeah. be like really kind of on the cutting edge, but not too far ahead and be able to to defend that that, that why now. Um I think they I think I would imagine uh VCs and even private equity has been burned one way or the other, being way too early or a little too late on on investments. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um Next up, slide seven, they ask for market size. Identify the profile of the customer that you cater to and calculate your TAM, SAM, and SOM. So the, this um, this part is where they will argue with you. <laughs> so um, you want to figure out how they're calculating TAM and how they're looking at it. Make sure you follow it. And then you need to have a focused customer you're targeting, but it also needs to be big enough. And so this is your opportunity. Don't target everyone, but that big change in the world and that dent that you're going to leave in the universe, how big can that be ideally long-term? And so um, it needs to be a big opportunity, but it also needs to be focused and and it needs to tie to the story you just told. And then you got to actually do the math because they're going to question you about it. Yeah, just a, on the other side of that, this isn't a thousand fans. All you need is a thousand rabid fans. This is, you need a lot more than that. Going to them being like, I, I've got a thousand fans and I'm going to have a great community, which is another podcast we'll be doing, um, is not a winning argument. 
you can have a thousand fans for product market fit, but there needs to be the math and logic that it scales to uh, yep. a million people. So. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's market size. Slide eight. Uh, competition. List competitors and list competitive advantages. So again, uh, often people are doing something new, so they don't think they have competitors. Right. That is the wrong answer. You yes. cannot tell them you don't have competitors. Yes. So if you don't think you have competitors, you need to go figure out the ecosystem that you're impacting and the eight tools somebody's stringing together to do this today right. and tell them that. Yeah. And so it's really important that you spend the time to know the ecosystem and then understand how you're impacting it. And it could be you're making tools work better, you're eliminating some, or you have direct competitors and there is a way that you're going to accomplish this uh, differently than them. They asked how, are, did they ask how you're better? What is the language they used? Uh, for competition? Yeah. They want competitive advantages outlined. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so, the work yeah. we do that's, you know, we have a slide like how the problem is currently solved. And it is yep. usually a, a mishmash of all sorts of, um, platforms and technologies, apps and what have you um, strung together, um, which requires many resources. And generally in our case, what what our clients have had is something that streamlines that entire process and makes it more a more singular and less dependent um, system. It's also, uh, we've also seen it done and we've also done it for clients as a quadrant as well. So you can show competitors and where they fall on a quadrant of whatever whatever constraints you want to put forth. And it's actually a really good opportunity to put forth the constraints that you excel at so that you are at the top right of yep. whatever four quadrants you want to assemble with all of your competitors and whatever spectrums you want to place them on so that you show up on the top of those things. And and you kind of get to play by your rules on this slide if you want to do it that way as well. Next. After, after competition, they ask for a product. Now... You can talk about your product. They've asked for it. Uh, they want to know your product lineup, form factor, functionality, features, architecture, intellectual property, and development roadmap. Damn. That's... Uh, on one slide. That's yeah, on one slide. <laughs> Did you like just take a picture of the, your VP of product that you just stole from somebody and just put that on the slide and be yeah, like, it's they're Tom. Just waving. <laughs> Tom is in charge of all this and he's our superpower. Yes, totally. So I think a lot of this is nuts and bolts stuff, but the product roadmap yeah. part does need to tie back to the story arc that you have taken them on and yeah. align to the dent in the universe you're going to make. Yeah. So um, yeah, don't just flip this over the wall of the product engineering to fill out. You do need to make sure that um, the roadmap perspective is aligning to the story you told because it's your opportunity to show them how not only in the short term you're going to solve and make people's lives dramatically changed, but you're going to be able to do it in the future. Yeah. Well, it just gives you a chance to be strategic and show that you're being strategic about, you know, in, when we do category work, a roadmap is part of it. Like we're, we're generating, we're creating new space in the market. Um, we are going to be the master of that space and the owner and the leader in that space by default. But you also have to be able to say like, here's how this space is going to grow. Here's the, the, you know, this is just a start, a specific pain point, but it becomes a whole new entry into the market that's going to evolve and require new, um, um, new technology and new services and things like that. And, 
And if, if you are anchoring on a singular idea and a singular opportunity, and you're able to show how that kernel can grow into something huge, like that, that is a huge competitive advantage. Totally. Totally. You have to be able to see the future a little bit. Right. And then, and you can't just without saying like, and we're going to chase this over here, this over here, there's like, it doesn't spider out, you know, it, there's, there's a, a semi-linear arc to what, what goes on when you when a, in a maturing category. Totally. Totally. Um, more nuts and bolts on slide 10, but nuts and bolts in a different, uh, from a different perspective, business model is the title of this slide. So Sequoia asks for revenue model, pricing, average account size, and or LTV, sales and distribution model, and customer pipeline list. Yeah, so we're we're leaving the the story part of this and just getting into nuts and bolts. Yeah. Um, so in this one, you need to they want to basically know like how is this going to be recurring revenue? How does it expand? Yeah. Are you charging for seats? Are you charging for transactions? Are you charging for contacts? Or you know whatever that um, ideally the pricing needs to be tied to the value the customer is receiving. And anytime yeah. they receive more value, you're able to charge more. That's why seats or contacts um, are nice because you're adding somebody else. Um, sometimes though, if you know we work with a lot of uh, BI tools and charging for seats on a BI tool isn't great because you want the entire org to get the value out of the information. And so you need to maybe think about, well, how much data are we processing and storing overall so that anybody can have access? Because ultimately, um, you don't want your customers to churn. And so the more people logging into your tool, the better. And so these are all things you've you got to think through. Um, yeah. And they are going to ask you all of these questions. So this is where the conversation, if you get a meeting, is is going to get uncomfortable. Messy. Messy. <laughs> um. Next up uh, is team. Um, slide 11 is team, founders and management, board of directors, board of advisors. Um, again, a little nuts and bolts, but I do think there's an opportunity here to carry through your kind of vision for um, how you talk about your founders and how you talk about the folks who've worked for you and their experience, I think is directly tied to the narrative that you're trying to tell and why these people are going to be the best folks to be able to accomplish that thing that you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, there should be some founders insight you have that is unique is unique to your perspective on the world and that point of view you just painted out. And now make sure that you reinforce why you are the right owner of that point of view in the world with your team and yeah. your advisors. Totally. Totally. Slide 12 here is more nuts and bolts, financials, PL, balance sheet, cash flow, cap table. The deal yeah, the you're stuff that seeking. isn't a surprise to most people um, yeah. when they're doing a, a VC deck. And I think the 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 thing with this with Sequoia's deck is like, oh wait, this is a higher level narrative than just like show me the the nuts and bolts. Like it's a combination of vision plus actual um tactics that are going to achieve that vision. Yeah. Um and like but most people focus too much on TAM and tech and stuff like that without having the vision that's going to kind of drive it in my experience. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it, you know, it's interesting. We talked about this, uh, Kevin Kwok, um, who doesn't have a huge, he's an investor at Greylock partners, um, wrote this piece, um, called narrative 
distillation. He talks about the importance of narrative um, for venture fundraising. Yeah. And he, he said there used to be like three types of fundraising pitches. One was narrative, which is what we're talking about, kind of what a, a compelling story of what could be. Yeah. Then there were, there's inflection pitches, which are driven by secrets discovered. They've hit, you know, the company's hit some inflection point and maybe they're not getting um, um, product market fit, but they've got this little nugget over here that they think could be really interesting, They but they yeah. need to redirect capital to make that achieve, uh, to achieve that. And then they've got like traction pitches as the third, um, driven by results of what's already been done. And what's super interesting is his, he says that traction pitches are gone, that they don't, they're not, everybody is now focusing on what could be and what's going to be taking place in the future. And mm -hmm. so you have to craft your pitch in, in that, uh, frame. It's, it, it can't be like, oh, we did all these amazing things and now we're going to push it forward. That can be part of it, but you have to have this higher level narrative arc. And he talks about, and we'll link to this, um, this narrative yeah. leverage that, um, people that are currently having success fundraising are bringing to the table and how the CEO has to uh, 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 be the owner of that narrative leverage. Say a little bit more about that leverage, Mike. Uh, it's just that it's a, if, if you have a story and other people don't, and you've got a compelling story and it's owned by the CEO and it's it's um, spread all across the entire organization. Yeah. And you're able to show that when you're going back for another round, then yeah. all of a sudden it's just like, oh, these other guys are chasing market share through features benefits, but you guys actually have a vision for what's going on. Yeah. Um, and, you know, again, they use Stripe. He used Stripe as an example in here as that larger vision for what they're trying to achieve. Um, and then like being able to show that the whole organization is oriented around that, um, that vision for what can be um, yeah. all across. It's not just marketing. It's not just the tagline. We're actually activating on all these different teams across the entire organization to achieve that. And there's alignment there. Um, and so that's really, really important. And he, he finishes just by saying that, you know, founders are responsible for holistic narrative distillation, mm -hmm. um, and which is a lot of what we do with founders is help them get to that. Yeah, it's a great phrase, narrative distillation. He says, um, here's the final paragraph. Yeah. Super fast. Product market fit is just narrative distillation for customers. It only makes sense that this same process is as crucial for investors and employees too. And just as we have spent so many years reinforcing the primacy of founders focusing on product market fit and the process of how companies converge on it, so too must founders take distilling their narratives for all audiences equally seriously. Mm. It's a nice uh, way to describe when we say you have product market fit, but you don't have message market fit. Yeah. yeah, we just had a we just had somebody ask us what we meant by that, and that is a a great definition. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, I might send this to them. Yeah, totally. Uh, quick recap: Sequoia says company purpose, problem, solution. Why now? Market size, competition, product, business model, team, and financials. That's their outline for it. If you disagree. We want to know. You should tell us at hi at drmg.co, h-i at drmg.co. Or if you agree, 
Or if you want to send us your pitch deck and tell us why it's better than what this is, we'd love to see it. We're curious people, hi at drmg.co. Uh, we appreciate you listening. We appreciate you subscribing. We appreciate you sharing the show with someone you think might get some value out of what we talk about, uh, including how to tighten that narrative up as you go out into the world and fight against the fears and worries and concerns and all of those things that are kind of getting and why about. Casey Musgraves overrated. <laughs> and also, if you if you need some hot takes about that, we've got that too. <laughs> yeah, we should. So she is a powerful brand. Um, we got. We're, we may have to get into it in a different topic because she's built a uh, brand. The, and the that myth, is- the story, and the myth around her, and that—that's a you can. That's that's totally building a brand, and and there's a story behind her. And yeah, she's a super talented musician. So but, there was a myth brief, that was generated there, as like the next big thing out of was she out of Memphis? Uh, yeah, somewhere in the south, yes. but. She, at her merch booth, she was selling these um, light up purple cowboy hats that uh-huh. the girls were buying. Uh-huh. And it just, it was pretty, you know, like, oh, that's a Casey Musgraves fan. You could just tell by the hat. And so it was really interesting that her brand is extended all the way to uh, the merchandise she's selling. You can yeah. signal without it even saying her name that you're into Casey. It's powerful. <laughs> and that's why I'm rocking a Casey T today. Because I'm trying to connect with the Casey community out in the universe. <laughs> I'm saying I am too. I am too. All right, guys. Appreciate you. Thanks for your brains and your wisdom as always. And thank y'all for listening. We'll see you guys next week. See ya. Thanks, Ryan. <laughs>